Hello and welcome to Habemus Papam, episode 158, Paschal the Second. Dear brothers and sisters, Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Habemus Papam. So today's Pope was born Rainerius, the son of Italian nobles from Romagna. He was born sometime around 1054. At a young age, he was sent to the monastery to be educated by the monks, a practice which was very common in the Middle Ages. And he grew in learning and in the esteem of his superiors. When he was a young man, he was sent to Rome and was elected the abbot of St. Lawrence outside the walls. And he was made the cardinal priest of San Clemente by Pope St. Gregory VII. Now we hear next about him as the legate of Pope Urban II, who sent him to the neighboring diocese of Velletri, then to Spain, and then kept him as a close advisor. Now upon Pope Urban's death in 1099, the political situation in Rome was still a little dicey. So the majority of the cardinals met in San Clemente for the election of the Pope. And we have a story that when Renerius realized they were starting to think about him, he tried to hide from the electors, but then they went and found him and brought him out and elected him Pope Paschal II. On August 14, 1099, one day after his election, Paschal was consecrated the Bishop of Rome. During Paschal's time as Pope, he had the misfortune of having to combat four different antipopes. The first, the antipope Guibert, we've come to know pretty well. He's been the antipope since Gregory VII. And he was still around at this time, but he died shortly after Paschal's election in 1100. Paschal had his body dug up and thrown in the Tiber River. His followers, however, were determined to continue their protest of the papacy, and they elected a successor. It was a man named Theodoric, who will be the second of the four antipopes. He was captured not long after his election and sent to a monastery for the rest of his life. And then when he died in 1102, the emperor asked his followers in Rome to elect another antipope. And this time they elected a man named Alaric, who was pretty quickly captured and sent into a monastery not too long after his election. So he's antipope number three. And then in 1105, the imperial party made one last attempt to put forth an antipope, and they elected a guy named Manulf, who took the name Sylvester IV. But he didn't really go anywhere, and he had very little following. Now, during this early portion of his papacy, while Rome was still basically under his control, Paschal had to defeat the forces of the antipopes in the towns surrounding Rome. And included in these enemies were the next generation of the Tuscolani family. You might remember them from the Dark Ages. Well, they're still out there causing trouble for the Pope. More on that later. With Rome secured early on, Paschal continued the fight against lay investiture of bishops and priests, which has been one of the defining characteristics of the Reform Movement and especially of St. Gregory VII. So if you remember, investiture was the ceremonial handing over to the new bishop the symbols of his office, for example, the crozier. While ceremonial on its face, in reality it spoke to the fact that the lay political leaders had much more control over church offices in the Middle Ages than they do today. And they were perhaps using that control not for the good of the church and the salvation of souls, but rather for their own political gain. Now, we left off the story of investitures with the decline of the Emperor Henry IV and his antipopes in Italy, aided by the rebellion of his son, the Prince Conrad, who sided with the Pope, and had formed a kingdom in northern Italy against his father. Conrad, however, died in 1101, and Henry began to renew his own power base in Germany and then in northern Italy. He likewise planned on overturning the pope and setting up his own antipope. We just heard about this attempt in 1102 to make Albrecht the pope, which failed. 
And so Paschal II responded to these provocations by publicly excommunicating Henry IV again. Now, by 1104, it was clear that Henry IV was not going to succeed in reclaiming his prestige and power over the Pope. Several nobles in his court conspired with his son, the future Henry V, who declared himself in rebellion against his father and wrote to the Pope for his support and blessing. So this blessing, of course, Pope Paschal readily gave since Henry IV was excommunicated and the ties his subjects had to him were officially dissolved. So Henry IV, in turn, sought reconciliation with the Holy See in order to kind of blunt this weapon used against him, but the lifting of his excommunication just didn't happen. So naturally, he turned to his usual playbook, and he tried to get another antipope on the throne. That's when the so-called Sylvester IV was set in, up in Rome, as we already heard. So now we have Henry IV, the great foe of Gregory VII, at the end of his life, facing an armed rebellion by his son and no support from Rome. And by the end of 1105, he was losing badly. Henry V captured his father on the Rhine and held him prisoner until Christmas Day, when at a large meeting of German nobles and papal litigates who were sent by Paschal, Henry IV confessed his guilt and abdicated the throne in favor of his son. A letter was written to Paschal asking him to come in person to help heal the German church and lift Henry's excommunication. And Paschal wrote back saying he very well might come up to Germany. And this is going to be a big mistake, but more on that later. First, Henry IV can't possibly be beaten yet. Henry IV made a dramatic escape from his son's custody, and he called together an army at Cologne. And all the while, he was sending overtures to Rome through various channels, begging for support and forgiveness and, and warning the Pope that his son wasn't as pious as he thought. But it would all be for naught, since Henry IV died suddenly on August 7th, 1106. It was said that he asked forgiveness on his deathbed, received the Eucharist, and was given a full Catholic funeral. With his father dead, Henry V was now in full control of the Holy Roman Empire, and he hoped Paschal would come to visit him now in France. But Paschal was now starting to grow a little wary of the young king's intentions. So for his first trip north in 1106 to 1107, he went to northern Italy and then to France, where he visited the monks of Cluny and worked to cultivate alliances with the kings of France. And while Henry V needed support of Rome for his rebellion, he was a devoted subject to the Pope and a church reformer. But once he had power, he began to show signs that the apple didn't fall far from the tree. Henry continued to send messages to the Pope, asking him to come to Germany and settle things with the council there. But Pascal decided to stay in France and hold a synod there, in which investiture was again condemned, doubling down on the papal side of the investiture conflict. Pascal then returned to Italy without going to Germany at the end of 1109, and he found a large rebellion sponsored in part by our old friends, the Tuscolani family, especially Ptolemy I, the grand-nephew of Pope Benedict IX. Once again, the popes needed to turn to the Normans in the south to help drive the rebels out of their strongholds, and they succeeded in retaking Rome in 1109. But peace in Italy was short-lived because, not satisfied where things stood with the pope, Henry V now invaded northern Italy, with not only an army, but also a host of lawyers, and he marched south towards Rome. So in 1111, we find the Pope in negotiations with representatives of the emperor, trying to find a solution to the investiture crisis. The resulting treaty was a terrible outcome for Paschal. Henry V agreed ostensibly to cease claiming the right of investiture. And in return, all the secular property, privileges, and revenues which had been given to the church in the Holy Roman Empire would have to return to the Holy Roman Emperor, to the secular authorities. Basically, priests in Germany would have to live off tithes and donations, much like priests in the United States do today. 
For Pascal, this was not necessarily a huge deal since he himself was a monk and he thought this would help the reforming process for removing worldly temptation and wealth from the church. But in practice, it was an utter disaster. The resulting document, the Privilegium, was wholeheartedly rejected by most of the church. On February 12, 1111, Henry V entered Rome, his troops taking up strategic positions around the city, and he made his way to St. Peter's Basilica. There he was greeted by the Pope and brought into the Basilica for the ratification of the treaty and Henry's coronation as emperor. When the terms of the Privilegium were read out loud for the first time, the bishops and priests realized that they had been undercut and discontent spread throughout the whole Basilica. Now, while these church figures started protesting what they heard, the German troops They decided, hey, now's the time for Henry to be crowned. Get over with it. Make him emperor. The Pope was being pulled from two sides to try and defuse the situation. He decided to celebrate Mass and put off the coronation. But the situation only got worse, and once Mass was over, Henry V's troops seized the Pope and several key cardinals and held them in prison. The Normans attempted to rescue the Pope, but they were defeated by Henry's allies, the Counts of Tusculum. So... Pascal was dragged by Henry's men out of Rome and held in captivity in the neighboring countryside. And after it became clear that no one would rescue him, Pascal was forced on April 13, 1111, to crown Henry V Holy Roman Emperor and concede him to the right of investiture. The backlash to Pascal was immediate, coming from across the church and from some of his closest collaborators in Rome. But it turns out things went worse for Henry V than they did for Pascal. Yes, he was weak but he'd been forced into this situation by a brutal monarch. Pascal hoped to resign the papacy, and he, and he fled to a nearby island to live out the rest of his days in quiet and prayer, but he was soon asked to come back to Rome by his supporters and help fix the problems at hand. So Pascal II held a synod in the Lateran in 1112 to repudiate once and for all the privilegium that he had signed, and then he sent papal legates led by the cardinal Guido, the archbishop of Vienne, to France to have the French clergy do the same thing. Henry V was then excommunicated, and the conflict over the investitures continued. Things kind of simmered in this place for a couple years, and then in 1115, the conflict sparked again when one of the biggest papal supporters, Matilda the Countess of Tuscany, who you may have remembered from past episodes, anyway, she died, and she left her entire estate and territory to the papacy in her will. Well, Henry V didn't like the sound of that, so he invaded in 1116, and he came again to Rome, and Pascal II this time fled, but enough of the clergy and cardinals of Rome turned to Henry's side that he was crowned a second time Holy Roman Emperor, this time in St. Peter's. The Pope obviously wouldn't do it, so Henry got a guy named uh, Maurice Bourdin, who was the Archbishop of Braga in Portugal, to crown him. So Pascal II, with the help of the Normans, began to turn against Henry and his troops, but it was just too late. Pascal was not much longer for this world. But before we conclude, I need to add in two minor events that we haven't covered yet from Pascal's papacy. The first was the appointment of the first bishop of America. I know this is the 12th century and Columbus didn't sail until 1492, but as you remember from your history class, there was a Viking settlement in what was called Vinland, and which we now know to be Newfoundland in Canada. A bishop was appointed for the Viking territory of Greenland and Vinland, a man named Eric Knupsen. Eric worked as a missionary in Greenland and in Canada, aiming to convert the native people to Christianity, making him the first missionary bishop in the Americas. Now, the other minor event was the establishment of the Order of Knights of the Hospital of St. John of Jerusalem. 
The Hospitallers, as they became known, were a crusading order of knights who served pilgrims in the Holy Land through charitable works and through military protection. Pope Paschal gave a papal bull to the order's founder, Blessed Gerard, which established the order and provided for its government. And the Hospitallers eventually were driven from the Holy Land to the Greek island of Rhodes, then from Rhodes to Malta, hence we know them today as the Order of Malta. So with these cool tidbits out of the way, we can return to the unfortunate Pope Paschal II. In 1118, he was able to return to Rome, but before he could drive Henry's forces from St. Peter's Basilica, he fell sick and died in a nearby house on January 21st, 1118. He was carried to the Lateran Basilica, where he was buried, and the whole mess in Rome would be passed on to his successor, Gelasius II, and we will talk about him next week. Thanks for listening to Abemus Papam. You can check out the rest of the Catholic Bites podcast at catholicbitespodcast.com. You can find us on Twitter at Catholic Bites, and you can find us on Apple Podcasts. Thank you, and God bless you.